following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Before we dismiss the children, we do want to take a moment and lift up several of these requests. We could easily be here all day uh, praying, easily. The sad thing is in churches today, and uh, mostly in, in American churches today, I, I, I see prayer is something that is very very much skirted and ignored. Uh, You announced that we're going to have a a prayer meeting instead of a main service or something. Not many people show up. We have lost the importance of prayer. So we're trying to do the best that we can to keep ourselves reminded of just how wonderful of an honor and a privilege it is to be able to crawl into the lap of our God, bury our face in His shoulder, and just pour out our petitions, our hurts, our complaints, whatever they may be. So let's uh, spend just a little bit of time speaking to Him and several things that are taking place around us. We've got a uh, a lot going on here in the next several weeks. So we want to be praying about that very diligently. Uh, different ministries are going to be taking place. People are going to be going out. Some of the children, the teens are going to be going out to do some Christmas caroling, things of that nature. Let's be praying for those uh, who are ministering. Pray for those who are unwell. And while I'm praying, I'm sure each of you know someone who does not know Christ. And so while I'm praying... Let them be on your heart and on your mind that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. One, to pray them on their knees. Having the Lord speak to them, maybe even through you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God and Savior, I'm humbled that you would give to me a free access to you. The door's open at any time. I I need not worry if you're busy to schedule a moment with you. I need not worry whether or not you hear me, whether or not you care, because you've proven that you care by sending your son to die so that I could have this kind of a relationship with you. And if you're willing to give up your son for me, to allow him to be humiliated, then I know that you are invested as well, and that you do desire to have that communion with me. And the only one that prevents that is myself. So, Father, I'm asking, Lord, that you would move in our hearts today Remind us of who we are in Christ. Father, there are many of our number who are unwell. They're sick, struggling. Father, I think of Sister Debbie and Dr. Desai as they're battling for health, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would watch over them, protect them, strengthen them in the inner man. Be with Mrs. Desai and with Brother Dale as well. Father, you would raise them up and strengthen them through all of this. Father, we have many who are struggling with health issues. I think of Gordon and Donna, Lord. Father, I would 
I'd be remiss, Lord, to try to name every single one because I know that I would leave something out. But Father, you know them. And you know who is on each and every one's heart this morning. And so, Father, I'm asking that you would move in those different situations. God, I think of those who are struggling just to get by day to day and they're, they're having a difficulty just perhaps making ends meet. They're struggling financially or maybe they're struggling spiritually, Lord. Father, I'm, I'm asking that you would do something that only you can do and that's to provide comfort and peace. And Father, that they would be reminded that you are there and that you are still involved. Father, for those who perhaps are married to an unbelieving spouse or have unbelieving children or unbelieving parents, Lord, I'm asking that you would do something for them as well. Help them to be a light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Help those who call upon you and claim you as their Lord and Savior, help them to live it out in such a way that it becomes attractive and that their unsaved loved one would have a desire to know more about Christ. Father, I'm also just thinking in generally of the unsaved. Father, that we would be given to sharing and propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ and not simply having this treasure in earthen vessels, but Father, that we would be willing to dispense it and to share it. And that, Father, we would see souls saved. We would see men and women added to the church daily because, Father, we truly desire to serve you well and to bring a smile to your face. Now, Father, we have sung your praises. The God who is truly for us and how nothing can stand against us. And if God be for us, who could be against us? So, Father, I'm asking that you would have enjoyed our praise. And Father, if you didn't, would you help us to know what it is that is on our heart that is distracting us from rightly praising you? Father, we're about to open up the Word of God and the children are about to dismiss themselves into their classes. Would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you help us uh, to examine ourselves to, uh, as you, the great surgeon, would take the scalpel of the Word of God and open up those wounds in our life that need to be opened, that you would put salve on those areas that need to be healed that we would let go of any bitterness, any malice, any wrath, any hatred that is preventing us from living in your light. So, Father, open now, we pray, the word of life and help us to be obedient to whatever it tells us. We ask these things in your Son's name and for his sake. Amen. Children, you are dismissed to your classes. And while they're dismissing, I'll give a plug for Wednesday nights. Have you ever wondered who you are? And uh, the question of identity comes in so often. The question of identity can quickly creep in. And uh, we're going to be looking uh, into a study starting in January on Wednesday nights about our identity. And so often, uh, especially in today's day and culture, this topic of, uh, of an identity, uh, we have identity crises, we have people having, uh, they're claiming one identity over another identity, and we, we have these, and the, the root of it all is just simply knowing who we are. And so we're going to be looking at this on Wednesday night starting in January. And if you have any curiosity into this uh, at all, you've been wondering, well, who truly am I? And you hear people talk about it all the time. You know, I need to go find myself. I need to know who I am. Um, this is for you. If you know someone who is struggling in that area, this is going to be for you. And so we're going to take a look at the identity we have. Identity 
if it's found in the wrong thing or the wrong place, can very quickly become arduous. It can become argumentative. It can become um, an issue. If I find my identity in pastoring only to next week wake up and have no voice and no ability to preach any longer or no ability to visit the sick or anything like that, if I, if I wake up next week with that, then my identity has been shattered. If you find your identity in musical endeavors, but you wake up the next day to find that your hands will no longer play the piano or no longer pluck the strings on the guitar, your identity will be shattered. So we have to find our identity in things that are immovable. So here's a shameless plug for Wednesday nights. Come on out and be part of that. And if you'd like a copy of the book, let me know, and I'll make sure that you have a copy of the book that we'll be studying through so that you can follow along in the scriptural portions as well. Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Amos, chapter 6, and stand with me. We'll stand for the reading of the Word of God. Amos, chapter number 6. Look with me starting here in verse 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountains of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Pass ye into Calneh and see, and from there go ye to Amath, the great, uh, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms, or their border greater than your border? Ye that put far away the evil day, and cause the seat of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory, and stretch themselves upon their couches, and eat the lambs out of the flock, and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of, and invent to themselves instruments of music like David that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments both they that are not both they are not grieved for the uh, but they are not grieved for the action of Joseph therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive and the banquet of them that stretches uh, themselves shall be removed the lord god hath sworn by himself saith the lord god of hosts i abhor the excellency of Jacob, and hate his palaces. Therefore will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. Father, bless the reading of your word to our hearts and our lives, to its application, we pray. We pray these things in your son's name, looking for great things to be done in our heart and in our life for the cause of Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are several things that uh, we come across in this uh, passage here, in this uh, uh, chapter 6. And as we uh, have studied much of Amos, uh, what he says can really be easily applied to our world today. Uh, and in chapter 6, we're going to see a direct correlation to the church of today. If you look with me in verse number 1, let's read that verse once more. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Now, an interesting thing is you could very easily, once we understand what's taking place in Zion and what's taking place uh, in, the, in the nation of Israel, we can very easily see that this today could be read, woe to those who are asleep in the church. Now, this is not a, uh, oh my goodness, pastor's been watching me sleeping in the church service. That's not what I'm talking about. But if that's the direction that the Lord puts on your heart, by all means, wear thumbtacks in your shoe if necessary. I don't know. But we're talking spiritually asleep, spiritually dead. And the thing is, what's interesting is how the Lord kind of presents this. Now, note, everyone handles grief differently. Some battle it. They just kind of, fight against letting it come out, and they kind of bottle it up inside. Others, 
um, they cry. They get a little, a little emotional, a little teary-eyed. Some, they go all out bawling with grief. Um, some completely break down. This word that we find at the very beginning of chapter 6, this word woe, is not actually a, a, a warning as much as it is a cry of grief. It's from the Hebrew word hawi, which is uh, a prolonged version of the Hebrew word how, which is uh, meaning oh. And so what we can literally read in this passage right here, woe to those who are at ease in Zion, is the grief-stricken heart of God. He's upset, he's, he's, he's frustrated, he is grieved beyond measure. Why are you asleep? This is what God's actually saying. Whoa. Why are you at ease in Zion? Amos here, he, he brings out the, uh, uh, the woe of the Lord, how he's, he's grieved over Zion, but then he also goes a little bit further. He says, and trust in the mountains of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Now, I understand that at this day and time, you have the one nation that has split into two nations. If you remember from earlier study, uh, you had Israel, and then after Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam uh, takes the throne and uh, starts to tax people even more, and people uh, get upset about that. The 10 tribes, not including uh, 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 the two that remained with Judah, the 10 tribes that moved on took Jeroboam as their king, and they, as they set that all up. But in God's mind and in God's eyes, they're still one and the same people. Because even though the people of Israel had split themselves apart, does not mean that God is going to split them apart. It's still seen here as sort of an all-encompassing, but then also the, the heart of the people was to be there in Zion. Israel was at this time at its strongest and most peaceful since the days of Solomon the strongest it had ever been, and the most peaceful. The, the, the military might of Israel was, was uh, matched by none. Samaria was the capital city of Israel, which was to believe, believed to have been the safest place that you could be uh, in that vicinity. To get to it, one had to travel a long, winding road with the, that had a series of uh, fortifications all along the way. Zion, however, was in the southern kingdom and uh, is, is seen as the center of the Jewish religion uh, and the location of God's temple. And so what you have here is he's saying your strong places, but also the place that is supposed to have been the center of your faith, where your religious practices uh, really kind of uh, uh, anchored around. You see, the charge that is given here as we look through this chapter is on God's people who were sitting in a very luxurious and affluent nation, and they were sitting in this lap of luxury while many people around them were hungering uh, and just, just, uh, just to get a morsel of bread or a drink of water. They had more than enough, and they were satisfied, self-satisfied, but then they had also become, because of that, lazy, lazy. Notice some of the things that it says. Look at verse four. Lie upon beds of ivory. You think that was costly? Notice that it's eating the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the soul. You have so much that it, you don't even wait for them to be full grown. You take the softest, you take the most tender, and, and you're not worried about any of this. Uh, he says, uh, they chant to the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music? Is there anything sinful with music? No. But what he's saying is you're only worried about the entertainment that you can come up with. You're just entertaining yourselves. And then he says, and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, the things that are costly, the most costly. You don't care. It doesn't bother you. People are starving to death, and you're wasting your money on the nicest of the nicest of the nicest. 
You see, they were not grieved. It says at the end of verse six, not grieved for the affliction of the people of Israel. Just as long as you've got what's important to you, it doesn't matter what happens to anybody else. This is what God is getting upset about. Does God get upset that we have nice things? No. But when we have no apathy and no concern for the needs of others, God gets upset about that. God wants us to show and to, uh, to show love for other people, to help other people, to, to serve other people. And this is what we're going to see with this. Uh, you know, looking at this whole idea of laziness, uh, Aesop, if you remember Aesop from Aesop's fables, you remember some of those, you've got the, the boy who cried wolf and the, uh, the sour grapes and things like that. Aesop was noted for saying this, don't let your special character and values, the secret that you know and no one else does, the truth, don't let that get swallowed up by the great chewing complacency. This is what we're talking about. My, my friends, do you realize that the Apostle Paul referred to this treasure that we have, talking about the glorious gospel, and he says it this way. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That word earthen vessels is the Greek word oysterkinos, which is where we get our English word oyster. What Paul is saying is just like you have to break open an oyster to get that pearl out, you sometimes have to break open a Christian to get the gospel out. That ought not to be so. It's a treasure that we ought to be willing and excited about taking to the world and, and sharing with others. He says the chief of the nations there in verse number one, talking about Israel, the chief of the nations likely refers to these two uh, places being prominent places for prominent leaders. You see, Israel and Judah were to be the light to the world and keep true worship of the true God alive and well. The leadership was to guide the people right. The leadership was to show others how they can know the Lord, the one true God. And the prominent leaders, instead of doing this, they were acting pious and haughtily and only worried about themselves. So how do I, it, I was thinking as I was preparing this, I, I, I know that I can sometimes get myself so deep into uh, the study that I completely forget to just make it applicable. And so I was thinking to myself, how can, what kind of an illustration can I use? And, and I, I, was, I was at that time trying to put my belt on and I had to suck in. You've been there before. Got it. It hooks, right? <laughs> Boom, and everything, you know. No more muffin top, just a busted can of biscuits over here. And so I was thinking, I was thinking how, can, how can I use this? And it, I was reminded. We went, for Thanksgiving, we went down to Sarah's family. And on the way back, you ever get hungry like five minutes after you leave? And it's like we planned it. I don't, I don't know. It's just we got in the car and, and we're driving down the road and we, we stopped at a, at a grocery store to pick up something real quick and we look and it was a grocery store that was like walking distance from where I used to live when I lived in the Florence area. And it was, you know, we're reminiscing. She used to work at a little place there. It's not that we're reminiscing. And then we look over and there's Frisch's Big Boy. And I don't know if you all have ever eaten at a Frisch's Big Boy, but Frisch's Big Boy has a breakfast bar Oh, I know I got somebody's attention. Frisch's Big Boy, they put, I mean, that breakfast buffet is second to none. The only breakfast buffet I've ever been to in my entire life where you can get Geta. And if you don't know what Geta is, you haven't lived. It's a German type of thing. I'm not 100% sure what it's made of. It's, it's a pork product. Not sure what part of the pork but oh my goodness, it is so good. And you just pile that, you, you take, you, I'd go to the buffet. And when I lived around the corner, man, I had it down to a science, man, five plates, I was ready to go. But you just open up those biscuits and you pour it all on there. And they do have a fruit and vegetable section, but why bother? I'm at a buffet. If I want fruits and vegetables, I'll eat anywhere else. I'm at the buffet so that I don't have to eat the fruits and vegetables, but you just open up that biscuit, you make the little pieces, and then you put chunks of sausage on there, and then you put those tater, you, you, taters, 
not tater tots. They're like the home fried. And boy, they are fried. And you put those, sprinkle those on top. Then you get the getta and you just lay pieces of getta on there. And then you take bacon, you crumble the bacon on top of that. And then you just douse it in sausage gravy. Make a fat boy cry. You see, when we go to the buffet, what generally happens is you push back and you rest for a moment. And then you argue with yourself about going after that fourth plate. I can make room. And so you're stretching on the way back to the buffet, right? You loosen up on your belt a little bit. And you get ready to go back for that next plate. But done, what do you want? A nap. Have you ever eaten so much, the only thing that you can think about at that time is where's the lazy boy? And we had a five-hour drive ahead of us. And I was thinking, dear Lord in heaven, I don't know if I'm going to make it. But you just look, and the waitress, can I get you anything else? How about a wheelchair? Because I'm going to need help getting out of here. All right? This is the way a lot of Christians are today. You know this? A lot of Christians have gotten the buffet mentality when it comes to Christianity where we come and we eat 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 and we eat, and then what do we do next? We go lay down and take a nap. Waitress comes up, can I get you anything else? Yeah, can you refill my drink? When's the last time somebody prepared the buffet instead of showing up for the buffet? You see, we have this buffet mentality of, All I ever want to do, and many people in the church can be this way, only feed me. That's the only reason I'm here. When I walked into Frisch's Big Boy and I glanced to the side and I looked to see, is the breakfast bar going on? I went in, I said, feed me. That's it. It's the only reason I'm here. I'm not here because of the decor. I'm not here to see if you all are hiring and need me to help you with anything. I'm not worried about any of that. All I want is feed me. And there's a lot of people claiming the name of Christ who are not worried about anything, but feed me. Feed me. Well, Pastor, I I don't know that I understand why you would say that. Well, because the evidence is very clear in the way we live and the way we go about church. Before we go too much further, let's take a look at something else that uh, is, is mentioned in here. If you look toward the end of the chapter, notice what it says. Oh, let's see, we left off at nine. Let's just pick up at verse 10. Said, and a man's uncle shall take him up, he that burneth him to bring out uh, the bones of the house and shall say unto him, that is, uh, by the sides of the house, is there any, uh, yet any with thee? And he shall say, no. Then shall he say, hold thy tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord come, commandeth, and he will smite the great house with breaches and the little house with clefts. Shall horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall, and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. Ye which rejoice in a thing of naught, which say, have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? But behold, I will rise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, saith the Lord of God, uh, the God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hamath in unto the river of the wilderness. You know, it's reminiscent, Brother Herb read from Psalm chapter 1 just a little bit ago. The Bible there lets us know, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Why? because this is the result. I want you to note what is taking place here, especially when you get into verse 13, at the end of verse 12 and into verse 13. He says, ye, have, uh, uh, ye which rejoice in a thing of naught. 
which say, have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? If you were to just take a moment, put a, uh, put a bookmark there in uh, Amos chapter six and jump back to Psalm chapter one again. You're gonna notice several different things with this uh, as far as um, uh, these three different ideas. It says in verse number one, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Let's break this down for just a minute and see how we can notice uh, people in Amos' day and then draw an application to us today. You see, they had completely, completely gone against the pattern of Psalm chapter one here. Walking in the counsel of the ungodly uh, could be said this way. They listened to and took the advice of unbiblical counselors. This is what walking in the counsel of the ungodly is. Uh, they, they do not, uh, they take the advice from people that does not line up with scripture. How many times have you gone to somebody for counsel and they have given you their thoughts, their opinions, and it did not match what the word God had to say? Now, to walk in the counsel of the ungodly is when you hear those uh, pieces of advice and you do it anyway, not having checked, is this what God's word has to say? Or even if you know that this is not what God's word has to say and you decide to take their advice and you move forward with that, that is walking in the counsel of the ungodly. I was talking with a gentleman not too long ago, and he was uh, seeking counsel from me for a friend that was uh, struggling, and uh, uh, the situation was this. The man's wife had cheated on him, and the counsel he received was, you need to cheat on her now so that you could be even and everything will be fine. And that was counsel that was given to him by a pastor, That's ungodly counsel. And sadly, he took it. The divorce is soon coming. We hear ungodly counsel a lot. Take, for example, that God's word says, uh, to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But then you have people who say things like, you don't need to go to church. My friend, that's ungodly counsel. And if they challenge me on it, that's okay. They can be wrong. I'll stand on what the word of God says. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. And so when the sharpening is taking place, I want to be where that's going to happen. And so when someone says, you don't need to worry about that, don't worry about going to church, don't worry about going and learning the things of God, don't worry about all that stuff, stop, it's ungodly counsel. Take that counsel is walking in the way of the ungodly. Well, how do we stand in the way of sinners? Well, standing in the way of sinners is not just taking the advice, but taking it to where it becomes your stance too. And so, You don't have to go to church. Okay, you're right. I don't have to go to church. And now I'm giving the advice to others as well. I'm not going to church and everything seems to be doing fine for me. You don't have to go to church either. This is the standing in the way of sinners. First, you are taking the counsel. Now, you've parked there. You know, there's a lot of people today who claim to be born again by the Spirit of God who haven't darkened the door of a church in years. And if someone asks them, why don't you go to church? Their response is, well, I don't really have to. I can go to church at my home. I don't really have to worry about those things. Look, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but it sure does make you a stronger Christian. 
Going to church doesn't make you saved, born again by the Spirit of God, but it sure does help iron out those things. And when the Bible tells us to work out our salvation daily because God's working in you, that's where we get those opportunities to learn more, to grow more. I can spend hours upon hours in this studying, but when when I am face-to-face with another believer or I, I am I am confronted by another believer about my attitude or something, that's when I'm given the opportunity to have those rough edges shaped off and I become more like Christ. God wants us in his house. When the singing and the praises of God is taking place and I choose to be anywhere else, how dare I say I love him above everything else? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. And the third one, He sits in the seat of the scornful. To sit in the scorner's seat is what we see taking place in Amos. Notice what he says back in Amos again. See, ye have turned judgment into gall, right there in verse 12, and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. In other words, you've made the fruit of righteousness bitter. Nobody wants that. Well, preacher, don't say that we got to go to church. Well, that, that, that might make some people, that might, make, that might turn some people off. That might make some people uncomfortable. That is turning the judgments of Gaul, uh, into gall and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. If they're uncomfortable, maybe it's because God's word is making them uncomfortable. Maybe they need to be made uncomfortable so that they start paying attention to God's word. And then verse 13 says it this way. says, ye rejoice in a thing of naught. You rejoice in this stuff. And ye have, uh, uh, you're rejoicing in the things that are unpleasant. The things that are wrong. Sitting in the seat of the scornful. The Bible talks about this. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And ye scorners delight in your scorning and fools hate knowledge. You see, sitting in the seat of the scorners is when you not only have walked in the council, not only have taken the council on to be your stance as well, but now you belittle anyone around you who is trying to live the right way. You see, you move a little bit further, a little bit further. To sit in that seat of the scornful, well, you don't have to go to church. You're right. I don't have to go to church. That guy's a legalist for going to church. You see the progression there? And this is where the people in Amos's day had gotten, and this is where the people in the church today have fallen asleep. Notice just a couple more things with this. How do we apply this to ourselves? Well, Zion is a picture of the church in Israel, a picture of the body of Christ as a whole. See, God chooses people to be a help to others. He chooses them uh, not because they are deserving or because they are worthy. He chooses them because he wants them to show others and to tell others and to serve others. He chooses us for this. God should be a place where people can go uh, for help, for guidance, for counsel. But when the counsel of the church is no different than the counsel of the world, the church just needs to close its doors because it's not doing anything that it was called to do. And just like Israel, many churches today, sadly, have become lazy and fat. We have become a buffet-oriented type of a Christian. We've become uh, the, the, the type of Christians where very few people actually uh, prepare the meal. We just uh, are here to eat and ingest. That's a dangerous place for us to get. You have one waitress monitoring six or seven different tables. Families of four, families of five, couples. One person serving the other 20. And in churches today, 
A lot of times you have 10 people serving 100. And we wonder why the church is in the position that it's in. Because we have become buffet Christians. Gluttonous. Gluttonous. Feed me, feed me, feed me. I ask if, if, if maybe um, I, I'm okay to be corrected if I'm wrong. I don't think I am. But if I'm wrong, I'm okay to be corrected. But I ask myself sometimes in, in this, why is it that the same four people do 90% of the Sunday school teaching? Why is it that when a uh, sign-up sheet gets put out there, hey, we need help cleaning up the leaves, two guys come out here and spend five, six hours doing all the leaf work? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be unkind. Please, please don't, don't, don't understand that. Ask yourself this question, is the church simply a buffet to you? Or do you view it as a body of which you are a part? The arm, the hand, the shoulder, the feet, the legs, the torso. Do you come to church week after week only looking to be fed? Uh, not looking to join. I don't want to necessarily be part of this, but I'm satisfied being a spectator and just coming week after week to get fed. Beloved, I'm going to say this with all the love I can muster. You were not saved to sit. You were saved born again by the Spirit of God, chosen, called by Him to serve. To serve one another. To serve others outside this assembly. So ask yourself, are you satisfied? Complacent? Just getting fed? Or are you ready to bring something to the table? Be part of the feeding group. The feeders, not the fed. Do you look for an opportunity to get involved or do you just sit by waiting for someone to ask you? you I'd be happy to do something if somebody asked me. The only problem is nobody ever asks me. I'm going to stop that today. I'm going to ask each and every one of you. Well... I don't know what to do. I'm glad you asked. We need greeters. It'd be nice if we had greeters, not just at the doors. We've got Junior and Brother Rich. They like to come in. And they, they hold the doors and make sure everybody's ready to come on in. And they, they keep watching everything. It's nice. But it'd be nice if we had a couple extra greeters. Maybe we had some greeters up in the parking lot letting people know where to come. Maybe we had a greeter up in the upper building for Sunday school hour. Yes, I said Sunday school hour because we have a Sunday school hour. And that Sunday school hour could be attended. You know, one of the best things that you could do to be an encouragement and to serve one another is to give up a little bit more time. And, and show up when Brother John puts hours upon hours into studying for a Sunday school lesson. Just come and be an encouragement by attending, this, attending the class. It'd be nice to have greeters once they get into the. If Brother Rich sees a, 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 a family come, a new family come, he's able to open the door and there's a greeter in the auditorium. He's able to walk up and say, let me introduce you to somebody new. How about this? Maybe security. It'd be nice for someone to just go out from time to time and help just kind of, just kind of survey the parking lot, keep an eye on the doors, things like that. You know, we, 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 we like to keep people safe, you know. Uh, tracks and evangelism. How about we just start passing out tracks and inviting people? We have outreach uh, opportunities. Uh, uh, going to the schools. The outreach opportunity that we've had at the schools. What about meal 
have fellowships. Sometimes we have guest speakers. We need to feed them. Sometimes the people in our church are sick. Maybe maybe you can't necessarily cook, and if you can't cook, and maybe you cook like uh, uh, those people who are uh, like Old Testament times, or or uh, you, you think you're a priest and you keep offering burnt offerings to everyone. Don't do that. Just buy gift cards, bring that in, and we'll take them to the sick people. You know, you, we can do those kind of things too. Uh, how, how about this event planning? Sister Jesse works tirelessly to, to plan some of these events that we do, and I'm sure. I'm sure she would not turn away if you come up to her and says, next event, count me in. What do you need me to do? I'm sure she wouldn't. She wouldn't. She might, you might have to break out the AED to, you know, resuscitate her and everything, but, but she won't turn it away. I promise you that. What about the multimedia crew? We've got people up there making sure that the sound's going and that the, uh, uh, the screens are going and that the live streaming's going. Would you like to learn how to do that? Get up there and say, hey, put me to work. I'm sure that they would appreciate it too. Uh, how about musicians? Just go up to Angie and say, hey, I play the ukulele and the clarinet. I don't know. Whatever you play, and bring your piccolo in, your bagpipes. We'll slap you up here if you got bagpipes. We, we got plenty. She might not. I would. Some of y'all probably shoot me if that happened, but that's okay. Every, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Groundskeeping. Mowing, maintenance crews. There's tons of stuff you could probably do. I had somebody send me a text just uh, yesterday before what it was about some projects. I'm putting some together. Uh, Special projects. Whenever we do big jobs and stuff like that, it'd be nice. What about the children? We could use more nursery workers, more Sunday school teachers, uh, more Wednesday night teachers. We could have uh, teachers and workers and people helping just put together the curriculum, things like that. The Shine Group, I'm sure, would probably appreciate a couple extra hands. The Wednesday night classes, the teen classes, the young adult classes, school outreach, maybe a sports program. Maybe you've got the ability to come in here on Monday, move all the chairs out of the way, and play pickleball with the community. I don't know. We can use you. Maybe a mother's of preschoolers program. There's all kinds of ways to get involved and serve one another. All kinds of ways. We just decorated the church for Christmas not too long ago. We served. You see, the next question might be, well, I'm not sure I can do that. Can God really use me? Matthew 19, 26 lets us know that certain things aren't possible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, faith in God doesn't make the difficult easy. It makes it possible. It makes it possible. So you might have to step out of that comfort zone a little bit. What about this? We'll do two more and we're done. Understand that getting involved and serving others is not a chore. It's not a chore. Do you realize that God does not need you? (laughs) He, He wants you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He wants me. I'm worthless. I know it. But the God that created everything wants me and wants to use me to serve you. That's a joy. That's a joy and that's a comfort. That's a blessing to be used by God. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, I didn't come to be ministered unto. I came to minister. came to minister. See, Jesus came to serve. Why do we come? Jesus came to serve. His mission was clear. He set aside his glory. He set aside his praise. He set aside everything that he deserved and everything that he rightly uh, should have. He set that aside, became a man of no reputation and did not demand service unto him, but served others. So much so that he went straight to the cross in a service act for you. The call of Jesus is not repeat this prayer after me. The call of Jesus 
is follow me. Follow me. He never said, say this prayer and then sit and do nothing. He said, follow me. Do what I do. Are we? Are we doing what he did? Are we doing what he does? His call to you is follow me. Do what he does. The question is simply this. Are you serving like Christ? God got pretty fed up with the people of Israel. And he sends Amos out. Says, straighten them up. Now, tonight we're going to look at how the man of God sometimes must deliver warning. Know that those warnings are always delivered out of love with a heavy heart. But understand this. He called you individually to serve others. What are you doing? What are you doing with that treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are you doing? Father, forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have been complacent, where we've not done for other people, but we have constantly just bellied up to the buffet and expected more and more and more. Very little giving. Father, help us as we commit this not only to mind, but to heart and life as well. Lord, help us to find that way where we can get plugged in, where we can be more like you, where we can show others the love of Christ, where we can serve others. Expose to us our heart, Father. Help us to see that we have not been following you, but we've become gluttonous. Father, forgive us. And Father, grow us. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.